the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. And I just did that thing where my brain went blank. Oh. You ever have that where you're like, where where am I right now? Yes. What is it? You kind of looking around like, <laughs> what are we doing? Some frightening places for that to happen. One, doing a radio show. <laughs> Two, while driving. Yes. And three, preaching a sermon. You ever had that happen? I, you know, I have had those moments where you're like kind of outside of yourself. And yes, it's like, exactly. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm not really engaged in what I'm saying at the moment. <laughs> does um, that freak you out a little bit? It really does. They're like out of body, like, oh, why'd yeah. you wear those shoes, no, Ian? Oh, wait, get back in there. Mine's usually like I'm looking, I've caught eyes with someone and I'm like, what are they thinking right now? <laughs> what are they? What is that person? Oh, I need to talk to that person. And, uh, and the number four is when your wife is telling you something that you're supposed to be listening to. And that's never happened to me. Never. Mm-hmm. I'm always dialed in and focused. Mm-hmm. One hundo percent. Nice. All right. A couple of things. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us on the telephone if you know what that is. It's 312-660-2594. Plus, got to say it. If you're a podcaster, thank you, thank you, thank mm-hmm. you for listening, liking, subscribing, reviewing. And uh, if you feel so inclined, hit that share button. Share it with a friend or an enemy. Either or. We would love to uh, engage in that way. And if you have suggestions for us on the show, uh, we're always willing to get engage with that. And uh, full disclosure, I think this whole first hour is going to be articles that you found, which is a risk. Sometimes is we sort right? of, I think so. We kind of have this sort of give and take when we arrange what we're going to talk about. And uh, uh, it's curious because, I, anyway, I think there's a, a thread here that we're going to see emerge a little bit. But why don't you, uh, huh. why don't you lead us off of this first one? I'm, now I'm trying to think what that thread might be. Yeah, me too. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> It'll emerge. We'll see it. It'll emerge. <laughs> the thread will reveal itself. So the first story is a hard one and one to, um, that I think is important. Uh, you and I have talked often since we've started the show uh, about the topic of abortion. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to put words in your mouth, but I feel like both of us have said this is uh, this is a passion point for us mm-hmm. and a uh, one that I think I think the church uh, needs to be willing to really dig their heels in. We talked mm. about that the other day about mm-hmm. are there issues you dig your heels in versus not. I feel like this is a dig our heels in issue. Yeah. It's not as black and white as I think people make it to be, but uh, over the overarching um, uh, topic of abortion, I think it's something that we as Christ followers and as the church need to stand up and be uh, vocal and strong about. And so with that in mind, there was an article at the blaze uh, com uh, about Alyssa Milano. Actress Alyssa Milano, she says it said she's made a big name for herself due to her left wing activism, particularly regarding abortion rights. And so Alyssa Milano, actress through many different things. You might remember she first started at Who's the Boss in the mid 80s. Oh, I loved Who's the Boss. You did. Oh, Who's the Boss then went straight into Growing Pains. Boom. (laughs) But um, see to me. 
as an aside, this is what we're talking about. Yep. Who's the boss? Can't hold a flame to growing pains. Agreed. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, who's the boss? You couldn't have had growing pains going into who's the boss. You couldn't right. have gone that Touché. way. I'm I'll say this, you. though. Wonder Years and Cheers blows both of them out of the water. Wonder Years is probably my favorite show that's ever existed. Come on. High five across there the we desk. Go. There it we is. go. And Bringing that, people together. And then, you know, Seinfeld in the office, like others. But I, the Wonder Years... Like, I cry at that all the time. I'll still cry. And I'll it's not since on. having kids, I'll cry a whole lot more. Oh, and I gotta find if someone knows where that's on. Let us know because other than we also have Netflix Google right in front of us. the YouTube probably. <laughs> uh, sorry, this isn't what we're talking about. Sorry. I love the Wonder Years. Yeah, sorry, that you are right. We just went from serious to nothing. Now back to serious. Uh, but anyway, actress Alyssa Milano revealed that she had two abortions in 1993 when she was in her early 20s. Uh, here's what she said. Uh, it says Milano fell in love with actor Scott Wolf that year while making Double Dragon. They moved in together, became engaged just for months, just months after that. Milano said she was on the pill because she knew she was not ready to be a parent uh, as she pursued her career. And then she still got pregnant. Milano said it was an emotional experience, especially coming from a Catholic background, but that she was, quote, not equipped to be a mother. So I chose to have an abortion. I chose it was my choice and it was absolutely the right choice for me. Uh, while she acknowledged not that it was not an easy choice or something that she wanted or needed, uh, it was something that I needed, I should say, she said, like most health care is. After her abortion, she remained on birth control, but then still got pregnant again. Mm. Uh, and once again, she's quoted as saying, I made the right decision to end my pregnancy. Milano noted that her life today wouldn't be nearly as good had she not had her abortion. She goes on to talk about, I probably wouldn't have had the kids that I have now. I, I probably wouldn't be married to the person I'm married now. And uh, and so on uh, and so forth. Milano added that her reasons for having abortions are, quote, real. And as with other women, such decisions are ours uh, and none of your business, the outlet said. And so... Uh, I've never, maybe I have, but when you read somebody be this upfront and vocal and dare I use the word proud of uh, their justifications for having abortion, I find it both really sad, really difficult, and it makes me angry. Like, Mm. it's just, it's just hard to read. And when I read it to say uh, she opted for two abortions in 1993 that quote, my life would be completely lacking of all its great joys today is really, really striking and hard. And for me, it goes, okay, uh, that, that gives a window into, into uh, uh, that other side. I'm using air quotes uh, of the, of the conversation. Um, And, and it it makes me go, man, this, this is something that we have to talk about. Well, and it it makes me think of uh, a Twitter thread I referenced probably a couple months ago now. And it was a woman who said I was raised in a, a very left, very progressive environment and home and there's certain rhetoric that I had always sort of kind of held to and admits she's like, I'm still certainly left leaning, but she kind of hits like five or six things that she thinks we really need to start talking about in this debate. And one of them really stuck with me. She said, I've literally met dozens of women who have had abortions mm. and not one of them, not one of them is like proud or relieved they did it. Yeah. Now you could talk about, like you said, obviously it can be a very complicated, gray, tough conversation uh, we, I think, have kind of showed our cards about yep. our convictions around that it's a sanctity of life issue, yep. uh, but also needing the church to be the church mm-hmm. and see kind of the broad holistic call here. And it can't just be about legislation, although legislation helps save lives. Um, but kind of her comment that, man, this this whole idea that that women are or should be wearing it as a badge of honor. She said, not only do I not think it's right, I don't think it's accurate. 
You know, this is someone mm-hmm. who's met dozens of women. All of them identify how deeply painful yeah. it was and how in many ways uh, it had impacts far reaching, far deeper than they were ever told that it would. And uh, I just, I think that's a really important part of the component. And I'm like too. staring at the headline where she says, like you said, if I hadn't opted for two abortions in 1993, my life would be completely lacking all its great joys. Yeah, that it does great. make me really sad. It really does. And there's a flippancy to it that is, you know, she's either saying it to guard herself and maybe make a point or it's really how she feels. Because I also have heard a lot yeah. about what you're talking about, where people say across the aisle, generally people who have abortions end up with regret and pain and 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 just issues dealing with it stemming Mm. from it Mm. so to read this i just find it really disturbing and it makes me both sad and angry and and wanting to engage it more and more uh but man i there's a there's a shock value i gotta be honest for me in reading that headline and maybe that was the point and you know to to be totally fair the blaze does do a lot for shock value you know like honestly even just knowing the source is a big deal and we've i mean how many times have we tackled this particular topic since january yeah a lot eight Nine, Probably. ten, like it's, it is, it's a really heavy topic and I hope that you hear in our voice that we're, we're identifying it as heavy and hard and difficult every single time we talk about yeah. it. We, we want to love people well, we want to love people like Jesus and we want to be the kinds of church that doesn't just pontificate on ideas, but actually is the hand and feet of Jesus. Absolutely. And we're stumbling every day, but trying our best to figure out what that looks like. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. James <laughs> here on the common. Good. I gotta go deeper. You gotta here on the common good. Can you go deeper? I cannot. <laughs> on AM eleven sixty, hope for your life. Hope for my life. My name is Brian Fromm. My name is Cool Master Jay. Just pull up a chair, people. Here on this Friday afternoon, grab a candy cigarette. <laughs> candy cigarette. Oh, we are loopy today, folks. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. We are glad to have you joining us today. They might not be glad. They've already switched the channel. (laughs) But it fit the music, right? It did fit the music. It did fit the music. Well, we're glad to have you join us today. Uh, Found an article on at uh, theguardian.com, and we teased it this way with the title, Want to Improve Your Life? Just Learn to Say No. No. When you ask someone to say how they are, 95% of the time they will answer with some version of busy, good but busy, or even sometimes crazy busy. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Busy has become a badge of honor, Mm. a signifier of success, a humble brag that implies we are important and in demand. But if you really are too busy, chances are you are not saying no. Mm. 
enough. And the article goes on to say that many of us struggle to say no because we fear rejection, anger, or just the uncertainty of what other person's response will be. Do you think they're right here that when we say we're busy, it doesn't mean we're important. It just means that we're taking too much on. We're not saying no, and that we become healthier people as we begin to learn to say no. Uh, That's a little too reductionistic for me, but I do certainly, I don't, I absolutely know the feeling of like, Oh, I feel kind of valuable because of how busy I am or, you know, there's a little bit of joy. You ever get a little bit of joy telling somebody how busy you are? Oh yeah. That's oh we do gosh. When someone's like, Hey, can we get coffee sometime? Like, yeah, what are you doing in four weeks? <laughs> I'm like, wow, this guy is busy. Uh, that's, that's lost its luster with me over the last probably five years. doesn't mean I'm any better at saying no, but yeah, that idea of yeah. the intrinsic, like, Oh, I want not only to be valued, but to know, I want other people to know that I'm valued too. That's a pretty depraved, unfortunate thing to see in yourself. But it's true though. And I think, yeah, I think saying no is probably in some sense at the core of that. So billionaire, it says later on Warren Buffett uh, said this. He says this. Yeah, chew on this one. Successful people say no to almost everything. He says saying no allows you to say yes to what is important to you. It allows you to be a better person because when you say yes, it comes from a good place not from resentment or fear. It creates space for what matters most to you rather than drowning in busyness like most of us are. And he goes, earlier we read this, in his book, The Power of No, entrepreneur and author James Altucher writes, when you say yes to something you don't want to do, here's the result. You hate what you're doing, you resent the person who asked you, and you hurt yourself. Mm. When it is coming from a place of subtle manipulation or even resentment, can saying yes when you mean no ever be a good thing? I, I'm going to lay cards on the table and say this is a big struggle for me. In, in what way specifically? I am a, uh, a card-carrying uh, yes, man, uh, people pleaser. People pleaser, that's better. People pleaser. And so... Oftentimes for me, the issue is not I want to feel or sound more important by having all this stuff. I don't like being busy. I like when I've got nothing in the evening and I'm at home with my kids. Like I'm not looking for people's affirmation about being busy. You just want to make people happy. I struggle with disappointing Mm. people. Mm. And so can I meet with you? Sure. Let's get this in. I'm, disappo- I'm disappointed that you're wired oh, that way. It's killing me. <laughs> uh, so I've gotten better at putting boundaries around family time okay, and good. stuff like this, but it's never like no or wait for we. It's like, let me get it in as quickly. Hey, can you do this? Yes, I can do this. Hmm. I tend to take stuff on because I don't want people to be disappointed in me much yeah. less than I want to feel important. And, uh, but the result is the same saying yes to with things you wished you said no to and feeling hectic and over busy and that kind of stuff. Okay. So do you, is the only road to healing from that facing enough regret where you said yes to the thing you didn't want to. And then the thing you really did want to do now you couldn't do, but you already committed to the last thing. Like, does that just happen enough times? You're like, okay, I got to get this under control. Yeah, like enough times that you're like trying, like you haven't been able to get to your sermon or you haven't, you right. know, you've had to get out early another time where, or yeah. Even bigger events where you're like, ah, oh, I said yes to lunch with this one guy. And then you find out later that like a, a friend that you really like is visiting from town. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't hang out because I said yes to this thing. And you yep. like, does, do you have experiences like that where. I do. You're kicking yourself. And I also know like those feelings. And if you're out there and you've had lunch with me, I'm not talking about you, but (laughs) those times you drive to a lunch or you're driving to a coffee, I'm sure you've had this. And on your way there, you're going, why am I doing this? Hmm. 
Like it's not usually somebody in your church because there's always value in that on some level, maybe not in that moment, but at some point, but like, you know, some organization has been like, can we meet with you to talk or someone? And you're just like, why, why, why did I say yes to this? <laughs> right, right. What am I doing? There's a hundred better things I can be doing right now. And uh, yeah, you asked, what do you do? He, I love this. He says the first step to find the word no is to get a little angry about all the time, energy and money you've spent saying yes to things that you could have said no to. That's a good suggestion. I had a mentor or two in college used to tell us no is a complete sentence. You don't uh, owe yeah. people an explanation. No, I'd love to, but I can't because I'm getting my dry cleaning. And I'm, 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 I'm. No is a complete sentence. And the, and the sooner that you, he was you know, speaking to a, a room full of uh, wannabe pastors, yeah. I think the, more, the sooner you can learn that. And which is actually, you know, if I'm really honest, just saying, like, if you were to ask me a question, uh, Ian, want to get dinner tomorrow? And I just went, no, that would feel so would feel strange, awkward. right? And I, so I don't know that he was really saying, practically speaking, just say no, but yep. like kind of giving us courage to say, hey, it's okay to not have any other reason that you can't. It's not because often don't you find that, especially if you're a people pleaser, no, I'd love to, but I have this other thing. Like, okay, well, how about Friday? You know, like, mm. Oh, shoot. I got, you know, I actually just don't want to, but now I've set up this whole. Yes. Now it's this rabbit trail of like trying to squeeze it in. And then you, you know, you just sort of acquiesce because it's okay, fine. Yeah, I can get, we can meet at four in the morning on Friday. That's when I can make it happen. So I'm curious what advice you would give to someone who maybe like, like you sits in the people pleaser seat. How do you get better at that? Um, And not just like a, like an ethereal philosophical sense. Like are there actual tips or tricks or tools that you found to be helpful to, to improve there. Yeah. In this article, I think they give one. It says, instead of saying yes on impulse, get into the habit of asking yourself, am I agreeing to this for me? Start with small things such as when you are offered a drink at the hairdresser's. I, that's an interesting one. A drink at the hairdresser's. <laughs> or if someone asks you for an insignificant favor. I'm going to sit gotta, on that one for I, a minute. I, I, I got to get a hairdresser. I got to go to that place. Jeez, I've been going to Supercuts. <laughs> no drinks there. Barely haircuts. <laughs> a drink at the hairdresser's. Let's just sit on that one for a yeah, second. Yeah, what that a weird good. way to end what this segment. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Champagne, anyone? But I think his point is uh, start saying no to some small things and just understand the world keeps going. Yeah. And uh, and understand the important time that you re- you've reclaimed. It's not necessarily just time, but it might be time to read. You might have reclaimed time right. to be with your family. You might have reclaimed time to write your sermon or to yeah. go have the more important meeting you've been needing to have. Right. I think you can only, you've got to start taking baby steps of going, okay, actually no really, really served my life well here. And you know what? The people that I said no to don't hate me. And yeah, if they did, right. that's okay. But yeah. nine times out of 10, they actually aren't mad at me. Well, and I remember Bob Goff, I think was the first person I heard talk about it where he said, so many of us make to-do lists, but nobody ever makes stop doing lists. Mm. Make lists of the things like, you know what? I need to stop doing that. That doesn't need to be, it served its purpose, maybe at a different season of life. We just become obsessed with adding more and more on our to-do, and he goes, just think about where that leads us. We just keep adding more and yeah. more to our to-do list, and no one ever sits down and says, here are the things I need to stop doing. It's not to say there aren't times just to lead with a yes, to say, I don't know why we're meeting, but yep. let's just be curious about the possibility of getting coffee with this person. Like, yeah, that good. sometimes is really valuable to, yeah. to just say yes for the sake of saying yes. But the dichotomy for you know maybe people like you or I, where we tend to <laughs> overdo it, yeah. is to really think that through, and I think that's helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now, here, ask me something. No. Oh, I was going to say no. To, <laughs> no back to you. Oh, wow. This is a real. No, it's just a whole drum. show of no's. This will be good. Let's go get a drink at the hairdresser. No. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can go online, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can call us, 312-660-2594. That is a number to talk to us a little bit about whatever it is we're talking about. And right now, we're talking about Cross International. Last yeah. week, we were talking a good deal about Cross International, uh, an incredible organization that we partner with that is like quite literally saving the lives of kids across yeah. the world. And I don't know about you, Brian. You've been on mission trips before, I assume. I have. When you hear stories about ministries like this, like how does that affect you? Yeah, it knocks you kind of out of your day-to-day, just everything's about me and about my family, and reminds you of, uh, of, of the needs of around the world. And um, it reminds you of also... Uh, regardless of if you have a lot of money culturally or you have a little money still in our culture, we've got it really good. And when he starts telling us those stories and Robert would tell us those stories, you're just like, Oh my gosh, I just can't imagine having to feed your kid mud to try to trick their stomach yeah. or those kinds of things. It's just unbelievable. Like I remember mission trips I've been on where, you know, they'd have like one room. It felt like the size of the studio with like no heat or no nothing. And it'd be seven kids in it. And you're right, like, what, right. what? And you're, your mind just can't get around it. And so the the most amazing thing for me about Cross International is really um, that it really doesn't cost a lot <laughs> to do what they're doing, right? $39 one-time gift feeds a kid for a year. We're used to sponsoring kids for $39 a month. Right. Uh, this, and you're more than welcome to do that with Cross International. But if you're just oh. like, I just want to feed one kid uh, for a year, it's only $39. And that's also right. what always, you know... I. I the good word is conviction. The the hard word is guilt. It's what I always feel when we do these a little bit like, man, if I start doing the math of even $39 a month, right? Like a dollar and some change a day. Right. And the amount of just craziness I spend that on uh, is is pretty humbling when you said, oh, if I actually took that money and gave it to Cross International, that's a kid fed for a year. So it's all uh, I always enjoy coming out of those because it gives me a little bit of a perspective reminder and uh, and it's a great challenge. So we it is a challenge, though, and that is something I want to talk to you about. We have uh, 52 kids still that we want to save, that mm-hmm. we want to take care of. And so, again, that's a $39 one-time gift that feeds that kid for a year. But as Robert was telling us last week, too, it's not just the food either. That's like we're, we're giving them the gospel, and it's paying yes. uh, for travel. It's paying for staffing. It's paying for the people there that are actually like caring for these families all across the planet. So here, here we'll mention this a couple of times, but here's how you can be a part of this. Uh, you can call 866-822-4883. That's 866-822-4883. Or if you're the digital type, which uh, you and I both are. Most go, of us are, yes. Go to 1160hope.com, and uh, right at the top, you'll see the Cross International image. Just click on that. Literally takes like a minute or two. It doesn't take a lot of time. But th- this is something that we're really, really challenging. The common good audience, the common good family say, all right, 52 kids. That's like a kid for each week of the year that we want to save. We want to change their life. And we know that some of you, like 39, that's that's about the ceiling for you. But I know yeah. plenty of you are like, I could cut I could cut a $1,000 check right now. Get it done. Or my small group could do it. Or my workplace. Or I could rally a couple other people to be a part of this. Uh, we would love, love, love. Uh, to get these 52 kids uh, cared for and saved and fed. And I know that sometimes, you know, just kind of listening to Brian and I go back and forth on this, maybe isn't necessarily 
like compelling or convicting. So I wanted you to actually hear mm-hmm. uh, one of the stories of someone who has kind of received firsthand some of what's going on. When the guy was talking about the kid that eats clay for nighttime, so they're so hungry. That guy's talking about me. I was that kid that didn't have nothing to eat, and I would go to sleep with nothing. I grew up there. I left when I was 18. You guys might not know the difference you're making in this kid's life, but I know for a fact that whatever you guys are doing, God will bless you. I was that kid you guys are talking about, and God took me out of there and bring me to this country, and I'm forever grateful. You guys don't know. You guys will make a difference. So that, I mean, for me, is so powerful because it's coming from the perspective of someone like I've, I've been on the receiving end of this kind of care. And you yeah. kind of like alluded to this. You and I, have ne- we've never known never. lack like this even close. Nope. Like I even, you know, talk about growing up in a big family outside Detroit, but like some of the stories that Robert was telling us and stories we've heard in the past, it's like, I don't even have a frame of reference. Yeah. That's what I always struggle with in these, like when he... You and I had the ability to sit with them so he could show us pictures. Right. And, you know, like describing a kid that they found, you know, uh, it, at his house uh, who was like, you know, you know, he was the age of some of our kids or even older and he was like 16 pounds. Right. And you're right. like, what? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, you just can't even get your mind around it. And, uh, and, and the hard part becomes not to grow numb to it and be like, okay, another right. ask. Right. Basically, what we would ask of you to consider is like these needs are actually real, like they're actually real and they're actually cheap. And and you have the ability to make a an eternal difference uh, and not do it for a lot of money, though. It's going to put you out right. Thirty nine dollars a year. uh, One time gift feeds a child for a year. But some of you, you know, you can do a lot more than that. You could do thirty nine dollars a month. Well, now you're going to have 12 kids done. Uh, you know, you might just do $390. That's 100 children. Um, earlier in our campaign, I think somebody sponsored 100 kids and called up. Like, there's, yep. you, we're, we're asking you to grow your mind a little bit on this one and kind of stretch yourself. And uh, I can't, send, I can't um, uh, make it clear enough that your money is going to go towards helping kids be saved, be fed, and families changed. And it's just such a great use of our money that it becomes it becomes really hard to justify not taking part. Well, man, laying it on thick, Brian. From yeah. It's true. But it's also something that we've talked pretty candidly about, you know, in our own experience. Like, I think the first time that they were here in the studio, uh, one of them was talking about, what if you sponsored in honor of your own kids? Yeah. And I had, like, just become a father of two. Mm-hmm. So I was like, feeling especially emotional about the thought. I, I didn't even really talk about this at the time, but, like, you know, for the first couple of months, my youngest actually was like struggling with some digestive I stuff. That. Yep, yep. And we've since really figured it out. And I realized this is in no way even close. But like, I remember even just like really w- watching him struggle to eat was actually very, very hard to to encounter. Like yeah. My boy, I just, I just wanted him to be well, and just wanted him to, and like something was going on in his body that wasn't making sense. And I thought, imagine being a parent and then amplifying that times a million, where yeah. you don't have money to go go to the grocery store or to a doctor even like you you're making literally these cookies out of mud to try and trick their stomachs and as a parent i i can't even really no. understand the weight of that pain yep so that for me in a lot of ways like we keep talking about yeah 39 dollars you know saves a kid but in a lot of ways i mean we're like we're serving parents too yeah, that's and that's a, that's a whole other perspective that i think is worth talking about because 
for you parents out there, you know, imagine kind of living in that space where you never know where the next meal is. And the the amount that kind of stood out to me, you know, we keep saying the thirty nine dollar one time gift, uh, one hundred and seventeen dollars would take care of three kids. That's less than ten dollars a month. That's nine seventy five a month. And I thought, yep. how many subscriptions do I have right now that point. are more than ten dollars a month that just like auto deduct from my account. Yeah. Like I'm not even thinking about it. And I thought, okay, that at least for me personally, that was really convicting. So again, that number is 866-822-4883, 866-822-4883 or 1160hope.com. Click that cross international image. We really, really are. We're challenging. We're encouraging our common good family. Let's get these 52 kids saved and fed. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in a time that is so urgent, the need is so high. Mm-hmm. Let's be a people who actually make a difference. Well, you've been listening here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, that's not nice, John. I mean, we're about um, to talk about creepiness of clowns. I'm already creeped out. Jeez, I Louise. mean, well, done, well played over there. Well played, <laughs> but... Uh, there are people changing as changing their stations as quickly as possible. Swerving right over the road, right? <laughs> no. Anyway, that voice here is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Uh, CNN uh, wrote in, you know, It is out right now, or is it It's Chapter 2, which, by the way, mm-hmm. every time the commercial comes on, uh, I have to pause it and make my kids hide their eyes. <laughs> You're a good dad. Oh, no, no. It's my wife yelling, pause it, pause it. <laughs> Oh, you're just executing. I'm just like, what? Oh, I don't even see what's on. Because usually at this age, they still, you know, they go to bed and they still, especially my younger two, like that creepy clown will get into their mind a little bit. And so uh, with uh, it being out and other things, uh, CNN wrote this article, has this article out entitled this, Why Clowns Like Pennywise from It Chapter 2 Give Us the Creeps. So this whole concept about people being creeped out by clowns. So let's start right there. Are you creeped out by clowns? What are your general thoughts about clown? Not a big fan. Okay. Nope. Be- Why? Don't know. Uh, has this always been the case? If you were a little kid and there was a nice, cl- like a like a normal looking clown at a birthday party, were you just think scared? about where you use a normal looking clown? Well, now was- this article gets into it, but now we've started going like creepy clown, whether right. it be the Joker, right. and Batman, or it, or whatever. I like the birthday party clown was nah. that still like. I I never trust anyone with that much white makeup on. That's clowns. That's mimes. That's I mean, Blue Man Group. They're up to some shady stuff. I don't, <laughs> what are you hiding under all that makeup? I so don't you know. have a problem with mimes? Oh, it's not a problem. It's not, I'm not going to go pick a fight with a mime or something. I just would they actually punch you, or would it be like well, this? <laughs> they would make a noise. It'd be <laughs> they can't get out of that box anyway, though they're stuck. Uh, they're, they're stuck, stuck in the box. <laughs> So this whole concept of clowns, and the article goes on. I would encourage you to read it at CNN.com. But it starts by talking about where did this kind of uh, a brief history of when when clowns became creepy. And it talks about. Wait, uh, hold on. I just want to know why you picked this story. First off, because clowns, clowns, this whole genre does creep. Me oh, out. it does. OK. And you're like, let's talk about what creeps and, me out. And I'm going to pastorally turn this. I'm going to turn this. This is going to be like a this is like a sermon illustration, my friend. I'm just going to leave. This I'm just is gonna it. Leave. I'm going to turn this. You're going to see some pastoral gymnastics here at the end. I'm just going to keep talking so you don't have time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's an old thing that pastors can make anything into a point. I'm going to prove that at the end of this. No, one. there's How a thing up? that every pastor thinks they can turn into a point. <laughs> I could do it. I That's could do way it. more the thing. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. So it's this whole thing about when did clowns become creepy? And they've always been creepy to a sense. But John Wayne Gacy, uh, and then you've got you know Batman with the Joker. Uh, and uh, in 2016, there was literally something in Florida and South Carolina called the Creepy Clown Scare. And uh, and so it keeps going. Uh, but this article then does something interesting. It talks about the nature of creepiness. What creeps us out? Right. Essentially, what is it? What are the things that give us that uh, feeling of being creeped out? It says psychology can help explain why clowns, the, survi- the supposed purveyors of jokes and pranks, often end up sending chills down our spines. My research was the first empirical study of creepiness, and I had a hunch that feeling creeped out might have something to do with ambiguity about not really being sure how to react to a person or situation. Pause there for a second. It's your whole white makeup thing, right? Yep. This person is saying, I have done studies that say you are correct, that when people are hiding behind a facade, that Uh that creeps them out. Do you feel good about that? You surprised by that? I'm not. I mean, think about any you know bank robbing heist you've seen in a movie. They're always wearing masks, and I think that's meant obviously to hide their identity. But it doesn't matter the mask, though, does it? Mm-mm. Any depiction you've seen of someone wearing a mask is creepy. It could be a bunch of Reagan masks. It could be clown masks. It doesn't matter. There is something innate I think that says, "Wait a minute, that's not actually who you are." This, yeah. There's something creepy about that. Yep. She goes on the right, or this author goes on the right. Uh, the results of the study indicate that people who per- we perceive as creepy are much more likely to be males than females, that unpredictability is an important component of creepiness, and that unusual patterns of eye contact and other nonverbal behavior set <sighs> off our creepiness detectors big time. Unusual or strange physical characteristics such as bulging eyes, a peculiar smile, or an inordinately long fingers did not in and of themselves cause us to perceive someone as creepy. Uh, but the pers- presence of weird physical traits can amplify any other creepy tendencies. Uh, then she goes on to say, when we asked people to rate the creepiness of different occupations, the one that rose to the top of the creep list was, you guessed it, clowns. Uh-huh. The results were consistent with my theory that getting creeped out is a response to the ambiguity of threat and that it is only when we are confronted with uncertainty about threat that we get the chills. So you were right. <laughs> You're right about this. See? I mean, I wasn't really making like a deeply researched observation and just is. Do you know there is uh do you know the word for the fear of clowns? Uh, yeah. Oh, you just looked it up. I saw no, it. No, no, I just know it. Okay, go for it. Cholerophobia. <laughs> is that right? I just I, I watched you look down at the paper though. <laughs> That's what you think. I'm just making creepy eye contact. <laughs> he the What you guys that, don't know is Brian's actually dressed as a clown right now for the segment. Every Monday. Every, every Monday. Monday, right. Uh Rami Nader, a Canadian psychologist who studies cholerophobia. Uh or cholerophobia. I don't cholerophobia. <laughs> it's not like it's like the like the hip phobia all the kids are doing right now. What's the cool phobia? Fear of clowns. Uh <laughs> It's the irrational fear of clowns. Nader believes that clown phobias are fueled by the fact that clowns wear makeup and disguises that hide their true identities in feel- and feelings. This is perfectly consistent uh, with this person's hypothesis that it is the inherent ambiguity surrounding clowns that make them creepy. Uh, and so, uh, you ready for my pastoral point? Oh, we're already going there? No, no, go ahead. Here, you make one more comment on this, and then I'm going to make I'm going to make it. What I find interesting about clowns is that the idea of clowns and clowning, you know, goes back as late as, like, ancient Egypt when, you know, we had court jesters, and their, yeah. their whole purpose was to kind of poke fun at power, right? And then 
I guess, at least the article asserts that Shakespeare was sort of the first to actually coin the word. Oh, is that right? Describing foolish characters in several of his plays. So, like, you think of even, like, Ronald McDonald, who we don't see a whole lot of anymore. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But, like, when we were kids, which was not that long ago, no, no, he, he was, was everywhere. He was front and center, right? Like, there was an acceptability of him being the mascot. And that's certainly after the John Wayne Gacy days. So it wasn't like, hey, Gacy changed the game. I mean, he certainly did in a lot of ways. But, like, Ronald McDonald was thriving in the 80s and 90s, wasn't he? And now he's sort of like, anytime I see a Ronald McDonald, like, statue or something somewhere, I'm like, ugh, that is very strange. And it makes me. fascinating. So I'm curious why even that in the last maybe 10 or 15 years we've seen this massive migration away from even the trust of clowns when, you know. 20, 30 years ago, it was like, oh, yeah, kids' parties. That's totally normal. It was interesting. Well, my kids watched They'll have to watch shows on the Disney Channel. And there was one the other day where this guy was, uh, you know, this high school kid was interested in this, a uh, college kid was interested in this college girl, whatever. It's this funny thing called, uh, what show was it? Good Luck Charlie. Okay. And uh, it totally turned when he found out she was in clown school and she came dressed up as a clown and he went nuts. Like, it wasn't like, oh, she's a clown. It was like, oh. <laughs> so can I just read you? This is beautiful writing at the end of here. Let yeah, me- do it. There are certainly other types of people who creep us out. Taxidermists and undertakers made a good showing on the creepy occupation spectrum, but they have their work cut out for them if they aspire to the level of creepiness that we automatically attribute to clowns. You ready for the last line? Mm -hmm. In other words, they have big shoes to fill. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Take a bow, writer of this article. Take a bow. Nameless writer we don't know. We do. Frank T. McAndrew of uh, Cornelia H. Dudley, professor of psychology at Knox College in Illinois. And so can I just say this one one real fast? Yeah. Uh, I've actually, uh, there are uh, good connections, I think, to those of us in our Christian faith uh, who pretend all the time to be happy and pretend to be, uh, I once gave a chapel message at Wheaton Academy and my entire message, so this is not a new thing, was to quit being a clown. So I talked about chorophobia and all this stuff. And I just said, this is what we do as Christians. We pretend that everything's okay. And we put make, uh, fake smiles on our faces. And I think it creeps people out because they're like, uh, how can that person always be happy right. when you're crumbling in the inside? Jesus had things to say about this, right? You're like a whitewashed tomb. Uh, I think Jesus, it would have been funny in our day to be like, you're like a clown, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, there there is something about inauthenticity and just this kind of pretending everything's okay. Uh, that we do that is equally as crazy and, and cringeworthy and creepy as what clowns do. Is there stuff in the Christian life, though, that you think Christians should embrace, that looking different in this regard, responding differently to crisis or tragedy actually is part of what it means to follow Jesus? I do, I do, and I don't, uh, but I think, we, I think my point is here, there's a, it comes genuinely, right? What's yeah. the genuine feeling going on? And we've dealt with, we've probably done it ourselves. The people who just go through life faking it because they know I'm supposed to look this way as a Christian. I'm supposed yeah. to have my life all together. And and that just will kill you. It yeah. will kill you. And I guess to close this, it, that's creepy, folks. That's yeah. creepy. It'll kill you just like a clown. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remember, they have big shoes to fill. Like, that is gold. <laughs> Welcome to the cool rafobia. Yeah. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Going to attempt to get this right. Twitter, Common Good Talk. Oh, we're going to get that. We're going to get that. Common Good Talk. I mean, we already got it. I think you're... <laughs> <laughs> Two things I have to work on. Common Good Talk and saying Christianity Today ten times without messing it up. I believe you. I think you were at ten times. Oh, this is where you flip it back to zero. Like it's I been, go back it's been zero days since Brian said this. In the right. first hour, I, I butchered it again. So uh, you It can... is legitimately difficult, though. I will it give is. you that. I never thought of it as difficult to having to say it over and over again. It just <laughs> runs all together. Uh, and you can find podcasts wherever it is you find your podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. We are grateful. We think it helps us somehow. We're not sure, but we are grateful for those of you who listen uh, in that way. Uh, well, there was uh, the, something strange going on that I wanted to talk to you about. Seems to be uh, people, prominent uh, Christians, uh uh, throwing their faith aside, I don't know how else to put it, kind of denying their faith online, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Sure. So Joshua Harris, right over the past month, uh, kind of those multiple Instagram posts where it was like, oh, he's getting divorced. No, wait, he's no longer believes any of this. And kind of the the wrestling that went on with what do you do with somebody who is a prominent author, speaker, pastor now saying, oh, by the oh, oh, now I don't believe any of this and being very public about it, being mm. very out there about it. He had another follow up post from a, a gay pride parade like he's he's trying to um, continue to be uh, in the middle of this conversation. Uh, and now over the weekend, a person by the name of Marty Simpson, and you might not know who Marty Simpson is, except by this. Marty Simpson uh, is a prolific worship music writer. Uh, co-writing or writing many of the songs for Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United, Delirious, and Young and Free. Uh, He started leading worship with Hillsong in the late 1990s, though it says here it's been years since he has written music for them. So Marty uh, Sampson uh, went on to his Instagram and he wrote this. Uh, Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now. So at peace with the world, it's crazy. This is a soapbox moment. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradiction? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all cause they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I, I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, just not one version of God. God's so, got so much more to say, but for me, I, I am keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life. For others, uh, and so I read this this weekend as it was going around, and it just it made me sad uh, for just this. I don't know. I had lots of emotions. One of which is like, man, what's going on that these are like this is like the new thing keeps coming out. And so thought I would read that and throw it out there. What did you think as you read that? Well, I want to I want to read my buddy Matt's response to it. He's a, a buddy of mine that we went to Judson University together. 
uh, we were in a small group together. He's a, a worship pastor and I think just a just a good guy, good heart. Um, I'm curious to know in response to that, because I think you saw this story before I did, mm-hmm. and this is his uh, response to that just a little earlier today. He said, um, so he posted the same article. He said, this makes me genuinely sad when I see something like this. Not sad that Marty is, quote, leaving the faith, but that perhaps he was never given an opportunity inside a community of faith where he was allowed to ask questions and doubt out loud and know that he was safe to do so. seems that many get to the point where they don't have the ability to actually ask hard questions out loud for fear they will be judged and asked not to be in leadership anymore. There's an epidemic happening where leaders within the church and not just American church, though, uh, though that seems to be where a lot of this comes from, are stepping away and, quote, losing their faith mm. while asking questions and changing their minds from the fundamental faith that they were raised on. While we shouldn't idolize and make celebrities out of pastors and songwriters like Marty, he is just one of thousands more who are dealing with the very same things he talks about in here. The church should be the safest place to question doctrine, doubt out loud, and wrestle with the false certainty that seems to accompany being a follower of Christ. There shouldn't be anything inside the Christian faith that we can't ask questions about, pick up and examine and thoroughly discuss, even if we reach different conclusions. The fact that Marty feels he needs to abandon Christian faith is an indictment on the church, not on him. May we have wider tables and not higher fences in our communities. May we never stop asking questions and never lose the wonder that goes along with being the church, the actual body of Jesus here on earth now. May we never forget that we too once were asking questions and genuinely curious about the world around us. Powerful. What do you think of that? What is, is this a, a posture position that you feel like you're in line with or the things about Matt's response that you disagree with or where, where do you, where's your heart and head with that? Uh, I think, I think uh, your friend there has a lot right there. I think um, that we don't, in churches all too often don't give people the opportunity to ask their hard questions and to doubt and to say, you know, we have this idol of certainty that says, Oh, everything makes sense. Everything we've got it all figured out, which has never been the, that's never been the point. Right. And when you, when it comes to a staff level position, well then your, your, your job is on the line, right? If you or I go to our elders or stand up on a Sunday morning, like I'm really wrestling with, do I believe this? Then our leaders rightfully should ask, I think we probably need right. to remove you. And so when that becomes, and then when you get, I, I do think that this is showing the, the dark underbelly of like the Christian uh, celebrity culture too, where like you take it to the next level where you're like being admired for your faith and your writings and your songs. That's right. That, that you can't wrestle with these things. And so um, I, I would, I, I think your friend, uh, when I read that, when you were reading, I was like, yes, that is true. That is true. And so we need cultures within our churches where people can ask these questions, right? And not the, just can ask them, but are safe to ask them. Yes. I think a lot of people have asked them and then been asked to leave. That's and fair. that's where I think he's getting at. And the phrase he keeps using that I love is to doubt out loud. Yep. I think plenty of people doubt yep. in silence. Do we actually, and I think this is the dichotomy because in a lot of ways, leaders go first, right? So if we're saying, hey, this is a safe place to doubt, to push back, but we're not actually seeing that modeled by our leadership. Mm-hmm. What message does that send to the people who are actually really wrestling? We talked about this a week or two ago, yeah. right? Where Tim Keller talks about doubts as yes. like antibodies, like, you know, Frederick Beekner calls them the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps it alive and moving. And yet we treat it like it's a bug, not a feature. I think doubt in the context of faithful, loving, accepting yes. community actually can deepen our faith. It can help the roots go down deeper. But when we run from it, we hide from it or 
maybe even worse, we just don't make time for it. Yeah. I th- what what other conclusion could a hearing ear come to other than, oh, this isn't a safe place for me to wrestle? Yep. And I get that your point. It is different when you're talking about leadership, but I don't know that it should be as different as it currently is. Correct. I'm with and, you. And I think that for Matt, I love Matt's heart because this is someone who's a practitioner. Mm-hmm. So he's he's leading a church in, in Fort Wayne. And so he um, he's, he's boots on the ground. He's not yeah. just theorizing in an ivory tower somewhere. Uh, and I would love to. Maybe we'll get him on the show sometime to like really talk through. All right, so he leads a band, you know? How mm-hmm. do you, what do you say if your piano plays? Like, hey, I don't know that I buy any of this anymore, but I'd love to keep playing. Yep. Or like, where, how do we grapple with some of those struggles that I think are more common than we realize? And if people aren't feeling safe to actually express them, does that lead to a helpful conclusion? I don't, I don't know that it does. That's good. I, I think in the church, I think we have to wrestle with the idol of certainty. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we must. We can never say that we're struggling with anything or we don't understand something like there's that. That's not ever been the point. But somehow we've made that the point. And yeah, Pete ends his sin of certainty actually is a great read in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, if some people are like, oh, that's that's kind of out there. You're like, no, Tim Keller said it. So I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. He, he feels safety. Can I just read something that I yeah, saw recently ahead. just to wrap us up? Derek yep. Webb, who uh, who in a lot of ways, I think maybe famously um, what, what did you say? Walked away from the faith yep, was yep. A, a prominent Christian songwriter leader. That's right. He tweeted just a day or two ago. He said, dear Christian friends, it's disheartening watching you try to shame, provoke and persuade non-Christians back into belief. Your own religion is clear that salvation is the work of the spirit. Start to finish. Maybe put your faith in that and try simply listening and loving. Mm. And I was pretty challenged by that. I think that's that that's, there's probably a whole lot more we could say to that, but that, that feels like a good starting point. Yeah, that's really good. There's more to say about, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is this increase of, of wrestling or even discarding your faith on Instagram <laughs> or this, that's something to be said about our culture yeah, and even point. the celebrity culture. But uh, we would love your feedback on this, this whole, this whole idea of certainty and doubt and, and is the church even a safe place for people to wrestle? You can do that at the common good radio show. That's the common good radio show. Roy, you're listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can also go to 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. All of our podcasts are there. We even got a nice little video that we made before Brian and I even knew each other. Uh, yes. Have you gone back and watched that video? By no, the way? but I've, I've very, very vivid memories of that, that couch and like a warehouse. Yes. You, yeah, should yeah. Go, you should go rewatch it. I want to, I want to get your reaction. Is it weird? Week. I'm wearing a, a nicer strange. shirt in that than I've worn in any episode we've ever done. Your hair is combed all, all oh sorts my, of things. Yeah. It looks really slick. That was also, funny. I remember it was like, what are we doing? Where are we at? Right. This we didn't crazy. know. And they're like, hey, tell us about the show. And we're like, we haven't done the show yet. What's, <laughs> what's the show you speak of? You're Ian, right? Ian? We're so, we're so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, man. It was, whew, we were so young then. So young. You can also get the podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. And uh, if you're the kind of that shares podcasts, please consider doing that. And if you like, subscribe and review, all of that really does help our algorithm. And we really, really, really appreciate your partnership and all that. And I mentioned it uh, last hour, but we've been partnering with Cross International. And if you're just joining us, Cross International uh, is an organization that does, I think, some of the most important work in the world. It's saving kids. It's feeding kids um, in the poorest communities on the planet. And it's something that, you know, we as pastors, as Jesus people are regularly saying, this is what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes. To, To care for kids who don't know where their next meal is coming from. 
uh, to me, is about as gospel-centered justice compassion as That's it is. a great gets. point. It's just helping people uh, who really, really desperately need the help. And so here are a couple of ways that we're inviting you, we're challenging you to be a part of this with us. You can call 866-822-4883. That's 866-822-4883. Or you can go to 1160hope.com. Just click the Cross International image there. The whole process, honestly, takes like less than two minutes it's really, really easy. And yeah. here's the goal. We've been trying to save and rescue and serve 295 kids, and we have 52 left. Yep. 52 kids left. And again, a $39 one-time gift feeds a kid for an entire year. That's not a per-month thing. Right, That's not right, a, right. It keeps kind of getting drawn from your account. You could do that, obviously. A $117 gift, which breaks out to be less than $10 a month, that takes care of three kids. And so we've challenged people, maybe consider – Giving on behalf of however many kids you have, yeah. you know, imagine imagine your kid not knowing where their next meal is coming from. Imagine being a parent, actually. Oh, that's crazy, right? Not knowing what to even do, like yeah. feeling like you're at the end of your resources, yeah. you're at the end of your rope. We literally get to come alongside an organization that is, I mean, notoriously really, really faithful with the yeah. money. Like the percentage of overhead is so minimal, so you know that this money is going to actually feed these kids to tell them about Jesus. I, to me, I love that we get to do a show that partners with people doing this kind of work in the world. Yep. Cause like this to me is when the church gets it right. Yeah, no, I think you're so right. You put that really well. And you know what? It's an opportunity to make your money have an eternal impact, right? We say that from pulpits all the time, invest in things that are going to last and invest in things that make a difference. That's right. And this is one of them. And it could be for as little as $39, you know, 39 bucks, uh, and that gives you also teaching opportunity, right? If you're a parent, talk to your kids about it. Like, hey, we're going to take this money, money, and we're going to here's what's going to happen with it. What an awesome picture for your kids. Maybe have your kids give towards it. Uh, so thirty nine dollars uh, feeds one child for a year, uh, and then any multiple of that, right? You want to feed ten children for a year, three hundred and ninety dollars. Hundred children for three thousand nine hundred dollars. That might sound like a lot, and it is. But we had somebody do that in the midst of this campaign who said, "You know what? I really believe in this. I want to go for a hundred kids." Yeah. And so there's just many different ways to do it. You can call, as Ian said, eight six six eight two two four eight eight three, or go online to eleven sixty hope dot com, and it it's fast. It doesn't take you long. Uh, go ahead and do that. Don't delay, and and let's get some kids fed. It's not, you know, honestly, sometimes I'm a little bashful about this part, but like, I know that there's. The likelihood of somebody listening right now is like, oh, I could cut a two thousand dollar check right now. Yep. Like, wouldn't he? Wouldn't even make a dent. Like, it would be, or my company could. Like, this is we actually earmark money to do stuff like this. Every maybe you could cut a check for two grand right now. Say, I'll I'll take care of all fifty two of those. Hundred percent. We could do that. Our church could do that. Our small group could do that. I have this group that just tries to do good work in the world. Who, whoever you may be, if that's you, uh, I kind of want to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and say. And do it then. Yeah. Like what what better thing to put your money towards than like helping feed kids? And I uh I know that like you guys hear Brian and I all the time, so maybe this is uh maybe we're like the adults in a peanuts cartoon. Like, <laughs> okay. All right, we get it. So what I want to do actually was let you hear from some other people mm-hmm. who've actually experienced cross international firsthand, like what it's actually like for them to see firsthand exactly what this money is doing. Here's a couple of their stories. We passed the basket around. Everybody took out uh, a bunch of prayer requests, typically 20 at a time. They're stapled together. And then we take time. Everyone goes through them individually and prays for each one. And then we go around the room, and everybody picks out one or two, and they pray aloud for it so that we can all kind of share and praying for certain ones together. And so that's what we do 
all the time, and everybody participates in that. So this morning there were, I don't know, 75, 80 people in the room, and we're all praying uh, for the donors. And everyone agrees that as we read those uh, prayer requests, it's very meaningful to us to read the requests from the people who have joined with us in ministry to these poor children and others, and very meaningful to see the sacrifices they often make. One that I read this morning, the, the the woman who wrote it said, you know, I barely have enough money, but I have enough food now and fresh water to survive this week. I'm giving what little I can so that those children can eat. You know, I, I cannot imagine what it will be like for my children not to have food. I, I, I can't imagine because I, I, I was born in a world and a place where I never had to worry about that. All the time that my children were in my home, I never worried about whether they was going to have food tonight or whether they was going to go to bed with hunger pains. There's people here every night that go to bed without food. And I know that Cross International are helping to make it happen where that does not have to happen with so many people. And even with all they're doing, and I know they'd love to do a lot more, you know, there's still so many that go to bed hungry and uh, without food or they eat these clay cookies to take away their hunger pain so they can sleep. So I would just, you know, ask people to to think about that as they, uh, you know, think about the blessing that, that they have of being born where they are and having the opportunity to provide for their families in a way that people here do not have the opportunity. Scripture is clear on many things. One of the things that Scripture is the most clear on, the Word of God is most clear on, the Word that 2,300 times in Scripture claims to be the Word of God is that we as believers care for the poor, that we care for the less fortunate. God cares about what I do with my piggy bank. God cares about what I do with my financial resources. And I think about the words of Matthew when God is crystal clear when He separates the sheep from the goats, the goats who don't care for the poor, the goats who don't care for the less fortunate, the sheep who do, the sheep who write checks, who take their first fruits and dedicate it to the poor of the world. God is pleased. Folks, we all want someday to hear the words of our Savior say, well done. I want to hear those words more than anything else in the world, that God would look at me and say, well done. And he makes it clear in Scripture that when we care for the poor, And there's no better place to do it than Cross International. There's no better place to care for the poor than Cross International. When we care for the poor, it generates the words of our Savior and our last breath to say, well done, enter into my heavenly rest. I'm not going to lie. I find those words so convicting. Compelling, yeah. And this is already something that I think I'm almost hardwired to care about anyway. Yeah. And I still find that convicting. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, just to stress, like we only do these campaigns a couple times a year and just for usually a couple of days. Yep. So I want to really stress kind of the urgency of saying, all right, let, can we care, can we take care of these 52 kids? Yep. Can we save them? Can we feed them for a year? Again, you can call 866-822-4883. That's 866-822-4883. Or go to 1160hope.com. Just click on that cross international image right there. And for $39, a one-time $39 one-time gift. gift Feeds a kid for a year, and maybe you're saying, "Man, I can cut a check for a hundred. Yep. I can cut a check for a thousand. I can take care of all fifty-two of these kids right now. Cut a check for two thousand. If that's you, man, I want to encourage you to do it. Yeah. I think what better thing to put our money toward? It's the most important thing you could do this weekend, right? We're yeah. all going to do lots of things this weekend. 
one of those that can really last through eternity, that can literally change the lives of entire families, uh, of even entire communities. Uh, and who knows who the kid is that gets fed? Who knows what's, what the yeah, kid's right. future holds? So uh, we'd encourage you to go ahead and give 866-822-4883 or at 1160hope.com. And we're praying we're praying that uh, that the, the common good family rises up, yes. that we're more than just uh, people that talk about things in theory, but that we actually are the hands and feet, you know? And maybe you're not even sure that you're a Jesus person or a Bible person or whatever, but this is something that you, yep. can, you can get around saying, Your money yep. still helps. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Kids needing food is still something that I think we all should care about, and uh, I would love, love, love to see uh, these 52 kids cared for by the end of the day. So uh, we really hope that you'll join us in this in this effort of feeding kids. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian Fromm, name this artist. Modest Mouse. <laughs> this is, I don't need anything else good to happen today. My day is made. That I mean, that was the only thing I could guess. Well, right? but last time you couldn't remember the good modest part. Point. I was like, mouse. It's mouse something. Indecent mouse. Mighty mouse. <laughs> Mighty mouse. Yeah, the band is, I think, that might be trademarked, actually. Uh, okay, so if you think that you just joined a conversation, in some ways, you have. This is called The Common Good with Ian and Brian. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can listen to us at twice the speed or... Like my wife and I have been doing is listening at half the speed. No, you haven't. And we sound insane. We- <laughs> that is awesome. Please just promise me at some point this week with your family. I will do it. Take two minutes. Pick us. Pick a, just a, a segment at random and listen at half the speed. Your children are going to love it. I guarantee it. That's really funny. We, okay, we I'll sound we sound bonkers. It's well, really insane. I will do that. Okay, so last segment we were talking about words a little bit, and in particular, some observations that my friends from Africa were making about uh, words that we use in the church and as pastors, and words that maybe sometimes we shy away from. And so to kind of piggyback weirdly off of that, uh, I want to read a different story for you here, and this premise may surprise you. It may not. Uh, I'm wondering how you're going to feel about this. The headline is this. Uh, people who swear are good friends. Huh. People who swear a lot are good friends. What do you think of that? I'm I'm intrigued. I, I would like to hear more. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope, J- John, are you, uh, you ready with that bleep button get over ready, there? Get ready for the dump button. <laughs> get ready for it. It is about to get inappropriate. Okay, so it opens with this. It says, it's, an, uh, it's known for a fact that people who use swear words too much are frowned upon and considered as uneducated and rude. But it seems that we've been mistaken all along, and this assumption is completely wrong. It's not uncommon for intelligent people to look at the world and society around them in a different way, quite the contrary. To our surprise, according to the latest research, they are also prone to using profanities and even be creative at it, much more compared to regular people. It turns out that highly intelligent and educated people swear much more than dumb and less, less educated ones. Wow. We, uh, we tend to distance ourselves from people that swear as we believe that they simply lack the language skills to express themselves in a politer way or have a limited way of thinking. But according to Kristen Joy and Timothy J, psychologists, it's completely the other way around. And they've done a study to back this up. According to their findings, the required skills to make up new swear words is linked to high fluency and language skills. Individuals with high IQ scores are both fluent and have a more versatile vocabulary, which means they're prone to creating new profanities. What do you think of that? It's it's wild. They they also say that it, 
in addition to their intelligence, people who swear more tend to be more honest as well, which makes them better friends. I, this kind of ah, you and I have talked often about how I, I and you and I were both raised in the church, kind of the evangelical bubble subculture. So for me, like I still can't. Not that I'm aiming to, but I still can't swear. Like, I still feel like... At all? Um, it'll come, Every now and then. But it feels like lightning's going to come down. What's an point. environment where you might be most inclined to? By myself in the car. But, like, uh, anger at, or, like, excitement? Like, blank, yeah. Or is it more like I hit my thumb with a hammer? It's like... A, a that one. That more one. anger. Okay, okay. Uh, or shock value. But that's a whole different level. Uh, wait, 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 wait. You just said by yourself, though. So what's no, this? No, but like if, if I'm like with my wife, I'm gonna get myself in trouble <laughs> and just like out of the blue swear. Should be what? What? What does that Just happen? to get a reaction out <laughs> yes. of her. Got it. Okay, because from the pulpit uh, from the, <laughs> during baptism in exactly. a wedding, right? But like, I still swearing to me is still a big deal, and I I'm, I get that's just a, how I was raised. So then I read stuff like this, and I'm like. Yeah, but a good Christian doesn't swear. So uh, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's like, why, you know, but this is really interesting that people who swear around you are better friends because they're willing to be more honest. And they probably have higher intelligence. Well, yeah. Okay. So let me, let me I'm get just laying my cards and just going, I, uh, it's still, it's nothing that I will ever embrace. We'll put well, it that way. And we were raised in very similar environments yep. and I think we've ended in two different places. <laughs> <laughs> this says, in addition to their intelligence, people who swear more tend to be more honest, like you were saying, which makes them better friends. These findings come from a study that analyzed hundreds of thousands of Facebook status updates. It goes on to say, in addition to all the above, we have to mention the crime case studies, which looked into the assumption that honest people swear more than dishonest ones. They discovered that innocent people who are suspected of a crime swear much more than guilty people who are trying their best to deny the accusations against them. Moreover, people who use profanities during testimonials are observed as more credible. So a couple of things I want to talk about, because uh, I think this is a really fascinating discussion, especially for Christ followers. And, you know, I did a sermon years ago. Uh, we were in the book of James and we were talking about this freshwater, salt water. Uh-huh. And I had sh- I think I've even shared this story, how I was, you know, driving, I was listening to some worship music and I was singing Latin <laughs> someone coming off in traffic and like instantly it was like freshwater, salt water. It was, it was a very yeah. uh, like visceral example of that. But I was talking about the difference between cursing and cussing and how, oh. uh, and I was listening to this interview with, with Paul David Tripp, Dr. Paul David Tripp, yep. who talks about for the Christ follower, the Bible elevates what, what, how we're to behave in the world mm-hmm. way beyond what culture depicts or expects. But he says the Bible speaks not of vocabulary, but of intention. Mm. He says it's, it's, it's way less about like this list of words is good. This list of words is bad. And the example that I gave was it, it all happened in one day. Uh, I invited a friend to church who'd never been to church before. Mm. And after the sermon, he ran up to me and he goes, bro, that was the bleepity best bleeping bleep bleep sermon I've ever bleeping. Holy cow, that was bleeping powerful. He's shouting this in the back of the auditorium. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, th- uh, thanks, man. Let's 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 tamp that down. But what was he doing though? He wasn't cursing yeah. me. He was yep. he was using words that were maybe not appropriate in that context. Yep. Later in that evening, though, we had a like a little talent show thing in our church, and somebody was on stage and they were doing very poorly. And I, I heard a couple of ladies, veterans from our church, and they were kind of mocking them, and they said, "Oh, bless his heart." Now they were saying bless words. Yes. They were using the vocabulary of blessing, but you and I both know they weren't actually no, they were saying mocking. words of blessing. There was mockery. So how do we make this distinction? If it isn't just about vocabulary, if it's actually way more about intention, I think that changes the discussion entirely. And I, and again, I really uh, applaud your particular conviction, Yeah, but like as a pastor and a leader and a father, 
how does that inform the way that you instruct the people that look to you for leadership? Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that you respect it and, and look up to it. It's really just, it's old baggage. I think, <laughs> that I, you that, think it's more baggage than like heartfelt conviction. I think these things get hardwired into you, right? Oh, like for sure. Things and and swearing is sure. one of them for me. I do, man. I don't, I'm not sure in the church. I haven't preached in a long time about the, go- about gossip. You know, and gossip, I would say, is more destructive than, yeah, right. than an occasional F-bomb. Uh, Both giving it and receiving it, by the way. Absolutely. Gossip can be a two-part thing. Absolutely. Sarcasm or mocking or mm. bully or whatever. Mm. Um, and so it becomes easy to say, don't say these seven words, which we know on the radio we cannot right, say them. Right, right, right. Um, which also is a form of legalism, though, when yeah. it's applied too far. Yeah, and I'm okay. You know, sometimes it bothers me when people feel like they've been, I'm using air quotes, liberated to, like, swear whenever they want. I was like, really? Yeah. Okay, that seems weird to me. But I do, think, I do think it highlights the fact that we probably don't focus on the, f- the speech that is more destructive, like you said, whether mm. it be gossip or... Um, sarcasm and belittling or whatever else it might right. be. Well, I think of when Paul says, let no unwholesome speech yeah. leave your mouth. The word unwholesome, there's the word sepo in the uh, Koine Greek, which is where we get our word for septic. Wow. And that image has always You're stuck Greek with me. Than I ever was. No, no, no. no, no, no. I make out all the time. <laughs> That's good. I just, I'm just, I'm remembering nuggets from years past, yeah. but I thought of like, not to get too graphic, but what's a septic tank full of? Yep. It's full of things that were at one point life-giving, you but wanted, now are toxic. You wanted me to say the word. I don't right want you to say that. Please. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun. But you know what I mean? Like, it's filled with things that were at one point yes. life-giving and now are not. And he's saying, hey, uh, he, what he's not saying is, these are the words you don't say yep. and then speak however you want to people. He said, hey, your words are meant to bring life and identity and purpose. Don't let septic words mm. leave your mouth. And when the first time I made that connection, I thought, Oh, I already know some septic words that I use. And I'll be honest, many of them are not swear words. Yes. They're septic, though. And even if the other person isn't aware of them, it's not even just how I talk to people. It's often yeah. how I talk about people. Mm-hmm. And if, if Paul David Tripp is right, it's actually far less about vocabulary and far more about intention. Man, I got some heart work to do because there's some there's some dancing that I can do but still have a very, very poor yes. intention with the words that I say or even how I say them, right? Like if I, if you say, oh, way to go, Einstein, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not praising you for your intelligence. I'm yes. using that to denigrate. And I think, man, with social media and all of the ways that we have to interact with each other, it's very, very easy, I think, to get that flip. Yeah, the book of James has some really serious things to say about the power of the tongue, and it's not just about the seven words we're not supposed to say. Well, and yeah, the power of the tongue and also, also how easily overlooked it is. Like Absolutely. The small rudder on a huge ship, right, yep, or a yep. small spark in a huge forest fire, we might think they're inconsequential, but they actually have, I think, tremendous impact. Huge. Speaking of tremendous impact, we're going to wrap the show up the way we always do with some interweb insanity here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. That music can only mean one thing, and it scares me every time it comes on. (laughs) You seem legitimately scared. It fears. It's interweb insanity. It is Crazy stories that have come from the internet and found by our executive producer, Keith Conrad, uh, our other producer, PJ. And uh, did you, by the way, when I did the show on Friday by myself, when you were out and about, yeah, uh, he picked, PJ picked all of them himself. Wow. He did a good job. It was I good. wasn't just out and about, by the way. I was at a conference. I said multiple times, if you listen back, he is in a work uh, engagement. <laughs> I gave you all that you needed. So. I appreciate you not... 
selling like, down. Portraying that, yeah, he's out gallivanting. Yeah, or... he's doing come in today. Just had nothing to say. <laughs> just lounging by the beach. Uh, so anyway, well, we read the sight unseen. And uh, we laugh with you. We're appalled with you. Ian, why don't you go first? Why don't I go first? Florida. Teen embraces Anchorman nickname after freak boating accident. A freak boating accident left a 14-year-old Manatee County boy with an anchor lodged in his skull. What? what? Oh, God. I don't want to read the rest of this. Oh, that's why they call him Anchorman. I Gee, see now. Oh, boy. This took a dark turn. And doctors call his survival story one in a million. I can't believe I had an anchor in my head. I can't. <laughs> I never in a million years thought I would read that sentence and say it to other people. Like, that's pretty crazy, Caleb Bennett said. My friends now call me the Anchorman, so that's kind of cool. I'm kind of a big deal around here, which is an Anchorman quote. Okay, never mind. Caleb and his family loved to fish on the Manatee River, and that's exactly what the teenager was doing when the accident happened. His parents, Kelly and Rick Bennett, were in the Bahamas celebrating their wedding anniversary when they got the call. Mm. Can you even imagine... Getting that call? Nope. We just heard that there was a boating accident and that an anchor hit him in the head, Rick said. Caleb told the John Hopkins All Children's Hospital he remembered feeling the anchor and thinking he just needed to stay calm. As soon as I got my hands on it, I kind of felt what it was and then realized it was in my head pretty far. I just stayed calm until my friend, hey, you need to call 911 or I'm going to die. That escalated quickly. Oh. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And that's a quote it's, from Anchorman. That, from was, Anchorman. that was pretty good. good. Holy cow. Next one's also out of Florida. Man arrested for DUI after slow speed chase hasn't had a driver's license since 1991. Oh, boy. A Florida man was arrested after driving away from deputies at slow speed. Late Thursday night, a Pasco County deputy noticed a white van run a red light. The deputy attempted a traffic stop, but the driver of the vehicle refused to pull over. <laughs> Deputies said the vehicle continued to drive away at speeds between 15 and 35 <laughs> miles per hour, despite their marked vehicles following with their emergency lights and sirens activated. They said they observed the vehicle strike a basketball hoop. Eventually, uh, the deputy said the vehicle finally stopped after they developed stop sticks, causing three of the four fo- tires to deflate. Uh, the driver, 56-year-old Gordon Ormond, was the sole occupant, and he exited the vehicle. Deputies said he tried to pull away from them as they attempted to place him in the patrol car. My name is Barney, and I'm an alcoholic. Mr. Gumbel, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem? Oh, gosh. Have you seen the movie Black Sheep? Yes. Do you remember he gets pulled over? I think they're high or something. And the cop's like, do you have any idea how fast you were going? And Chris Farley goes, well, I don't know, 50, 55 tops. And he goes, seven. <laughs> seven miles an hour. <laughs> oh, and usually when I pull people over, I pull, they pull over to the side of the road. And it looks up, he's like in the middle. <laughs> median. <laughs> okay, I could quote that movie all day That's long. Funny. All right, Canada, police find intoxicated man covered in nachos and cheese. Uh-huh. That could be worse, I guess. Yes. He was hoping for a snack, but it didn't go well. He fell, and now he's inside a jail cell. Just before 11 p.m. Thursday, police in Brandon... Uh oh, Man- Manit- Manitoba. We're going <laughs> Manitoba. Like, brain fart. I was like, I don't. How do I not know that abbreviation? When officers arrived, they found a quote very intoxicated man who had fallen off his bicycle and spilled his snack of nachos and cheese all over him. A check on his name revealed a warrant for his arrest has been issued by Calgary Police. Son, I think I can safely say. I don't think I get that one. I don't either. I thought we have something with cheese. Or I thought something. for sure there'd be a cheese something drop. Cheese. Okay. Can someone explain that to us? Colorado. Woman puts injured bobcat in car with child. 
Okay. Oh, Co- gosh, the photo's terrifying. Colorado Parks and Wildlife sent out a warning that no matter how cute you might think it is, you should never pick up a wild animal. Oh, no. According to CPW, a woman in Colorado Springs picked up an injured bobcat seen above. Go check out the picture. And loaded it into her car where her child was seated. Holy cow. Notice its large teeth. Imagine the claws uh, within its big paws. The uh, Parks and Wildlife removed the bobcat, which was mortally wounded and was too injured to react to being picked up and placed in the car. CPW added, she was lucky. Uh, they reminded you, if you see an injured animal, call Parks and Wildlife and let them handle it. Oh my God. Oh, is it a long one? It's just going to... Oh. Was that it? That's it. Did he stop it early? I, I, I ended it. It's going to keep going. Much like that Bobcat's life, they ended it. Oh, gee. Because I think, wow, that was dark. I'm going to start calling you Keith Conrad. All right, we're going to wrap up with Florida. Guests rescued after Disney World monorail stalls. Oh. As many as 100 people were trapped on a stalled monorail late Thursday at Disney World, prompting first responders to use cherry pickers and large trucks to help evacuate those who were stranded. We are safe, but still... On the monorail, Lauren McCarthy said on Twitter, each bucket can only remove two passengers at a time. Currently, there are two trucks. Orange County Fire Rescue's public information officer, Mike something, confirmed that they were assisting Reedy Creek Fire Rescue. Messages to Reedy Creek and Disney were not immediately returned. Jackals heard about 75 to 100 people were trapped. But these people were so close. You, I've ridden this monorail many times. You can see Disney World. You've been saving your money. You're waiting. Oh, what and a you're bummer. sitting there staring at it as you're getting pulled off. I hope they got a pass or something. That'd be so. nice. I hope. It only cost them $150 to get in. Yeah, right. <laughs> what a steal. Well, thanks for joining us on this Monday. Hope you join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.